2: Presence, healing, and wholeness. In this episode, Eckhart answers questions from a live audience, including healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, and therapists. They ask how to deal with the expectations of their patients who yearn for healing and wholeness. He emphasizes the importance of getting the ego out of the way so the power of stillness and presence can shine through. It's only then can one truly be of service to others.
3: I brought some questions here. These survived the selection process. (laughs) We'll go through some of these, some very interesting questions that you will all relate to. How can I reconcile being a wellness professional when a lot of times I'm asleep myself? I feel like a hypocrite. There have been a few similar questions. It is true that there are probably many people working in the field of therapy and wellness who themselves have no access whatsoever to the spiritual dimension. There are many therapists also like that. You are not one of them because those that really have no access to it don't know, even know that there is such a thing or they might dismiss it as mumbo-dumbo Although yes, certain expressions come to mind, such as when the blind leads the blind, they both fall into the pit, which is somewhere from the Bible (laughs) or from the Course in Miracles, there is a chapter entitled The Unhealed Healer. But there's another side to this. There are many people who may not yet fully be able to live the teaching in their personal private life, who are nevertheless able to, when they step into the helping situation, the therapeutic situation or the teaching situation, whatever it is, are able to enter that state of presence so that this intuitive intelligence that comes out of presence is able to use their mind, the unconditioned consciousness is able to use their mind and then you can speak and still be extremely helpful. And that even applies to some spiritual teachers. And I've met several who actually told me that they cannot fully live the teaching in their daily life. They, in other words, they become identified with their mind, they become reactive. One of them told me, a very famous author, he said, sometimes his friends tell him to go back and read his own books. <laughs> 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 and so he was very open about that because his friends obviously see that he, he cannot live the teaching. But when he wrote these books, he was able to go into that presence, so the writing came out of that state of presence. There's another very famous author, and this was told to me privately, and he, she said, I'm sorry about our interaction many years ago, but at that time I was insane. (laughs) Now that's a wonderful openness. I think he, she had become partly insane through the Rapid onslaught of fame, which is a huge challenge to the ego. And if if suddenly everybody talks about you, that that can really trigger the ego in a person. It can be a huge challenge. So when he told me that afterwards, of course he was in a different place and could like look back and had enough lack of ego to be able to say that. That was wonderful. But even at that time, that person was able to write these books that helped millions of people. And you may find the same when you enter the therapy situation. If you're really able to be present with another person, you are not your usual person. When when you enter that situation, you begin to focus attention on the person. The energy begins to shift I could say the vibrational frequency in your entire body, you might change is shifting to a higher frequency. You you feel the presence pervading the body and the room, and then you begin to speak. And perhaps that's very same evening when you talk to your wife or husband, you become unconscious again, trapped in some totally absurd argument and get extremely angry about nothing. It's quite possible. And then of course, this question may arise. The person asked, am I a hypocrite? Am I just pretending that I know? No, because the, the power is not something that comes from the personal level of you. It comes when you get out of the way. And so some people who may not yet fully be able to live that spiritually awakened life are nevertheless able to get out of the way in those situations. And then consciousness can use them.
1: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring... The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu.
0: Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean.
3: If only those people who could live it fully were allowed by some authority in the sky to teach or to help others, then there would be very few teaching and helping others. So you don't need to feel that you are a hypocrite. You are here. That's already a good sign. And you know that there is a discrepancy and that's fine and now if you understand how and why, then you'll be able to actually become comfortable with this shift that you experience when you go into the therapy situation with someone. You can still work on yourself, of course, in your home environment and so on. That's, that continues. You continue to awaken It is the case that many people who work with people are learning as they teach themselves. So, because many times as you speak, as you respond to what this person needs, you can come up with things that you find yourself find surprising. Oh, I didn't know that I knew that. Of course you didn't know it. (laughs) It came out of that unconditioned Intelligence, that is the unconditioned consciousness. And uh, a great learning happens when you teach in that way. Healing is another word for it rather than teaching because it is in a healing in a wider sense, not just physical healing, healing of the dysfunction of the egoic mind and so on. That's the healing situation. So healing always goes both ways. Or as the Course in Miracles says, you're never healed alone. So this, the giving and receiving of healing is the same. Another phrase that you might have heard is that you always teach what you need to learn yourself. (laughs) How do you protect yourself when people, clients are very angry and project this onto you? If they physically attack you, then it might be best to leave the room I've had a few experiences when I was doing counseling sessions with very angry people. They were so angry that the energy of their anger filled the entire room. And uh, what I experienced in those situations was an extreme intensification of presence. The slightest emotion that I would have had would have been the emotional body. Really, it was the extreme pain body would have latched on to the slightest emotion and get in there and want more of a reaction, the the slightest defensiveness or whatever it may be. So to be totally clear, so the the anger has, there's no one there that the anger could attack. Because in intense presence, you are, so to speak, you may be visible as people can still see you, but on another level, you become transparent. So the anger comes at you and there's nothing in you that resists it. Any kind of resistance would only strengthen the anger in that person. So if you close yourself, it hits it and and it comes back and it gets even stronger. But if you become totally non-resistant through presence, there's nobody there, the anger passes right through. And, And that's the only way you can really protect yourself. The ultimate protection is not to put up a shield. That's one way you could protect yourself. It might be better than no protection at all. (laughs) But the real protection is not to be there as a visible target, not to be there as something that can be hit. So you get completely out of the way. So there's no reaction at all to the anger. And I've seen some miraculous transformations in those situations where suddenly the pain body had absolutely no, it needs something, it needs some reaction. So allow this situation to intensify your presence and experience it being transparent. And then the, the miracle may happen that at least there at that moment, the pain body recedes. When you were in utter despair, would having access to someone like you have helped you <laughs> there needs to be a readiness in the person to be helped. Some definitely want to suffer a bit more. The openness would not be there. So at that time, when I, people noticed around me that I was unhappy, there was a professor of the university. He was doing transcendental meditation and he said to me, you really should be doing meditation. And I said, no, I don't want to do meditation. I lose all my motivation to work. And that's not not what I want. I was a bit scared of meditation. It said it would transform me and make me completely ineffective because I wanted to achieve. I wanted to become an important intellectual so meditation would have thought might be an obstacle to that, no, I'm not doing this. So I refused the help could have been, this was a hint of the universe said, why don't you do transcendental meditation? You might be um, less anxious and, uh, but I didn't do it. So perhaps if I had met myself, I would have said, who is this guy? Uh, I don't know. You cannot help everybody. You might have noticed. <laughs> And uh, some humans need, and if they cannot, if there's no openness to be helped, it means they are happy with the spiritual teacher they already have, and his or her name is suffering then they just need to experience that a bit more because if you show them the possibility of going beyond suffering or somebody else in a different way shows them the possibility and somebody else does and another therapist and another, or they open a spiritual book. What is this mumbo jumbo? Not ready, not ready to listen. Need to suffer a bit more. Suffering has a certain function in the evolution of consciousness. Let's say if you were the omnipotent God and you removed all human suffering right now. That's the end of the evolution of consciousness. Of course, you could, if you were totally omnipotent, you could say, let consciousness only express itself right now. (laughs) 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 That's not how it works. (laughs) It cannot express itself except through this. Suffering is necessary until it no longer is necessary for you. And so it has a function within the totality. You can see it in your own life. I had to go through it up to that point. And there's a lot of collective suffering. There's not only suffering in in poor countries. Yes, there is. There is different kinds of suffering everywhere. There's intense suffering in the rich countries you can probably find more happy people in the poor countries than in the rich countries. So they're just different degrees of suffering. And so at some point, the individual realizes that suffering is ultimately self-made, self-produced, and then the shift happens. And then evolution is of a different kind. It is no longer impelled or fueled by suffering you still evolve, but it's no longer through suffering. When you encounter a spiritual teaching or a spiritual teacher, that is the moment when that spiritual teacher takes over from suffering. It's the old spiritual teacher. You get handed over to the new one. (laughs) That's a wonderful, that should be celebrated in a person's life, the transition from Mr. and Mrs. suffering (laughs) or the guru called suffering Three, three suffering <laughs> to an actual teacher. <laughs> and for some reason, by some strange synchronistic event, I have two questions here which may be by the same person. <laughs> Are you happy? And then the other one, with so much sadness in the world, how can I feel joy be happy? Am I happy? <laughs> <laughs> No, I wouldn't call it happy. Some people might use that word to point to a very a, a deeper state of connectedness with being, but conventionally happy really is the opposite to unhappy. And so you go from happy to unhappy is, <laughs> <laughs> and then something happens. And they, You know, the two masks that uh, for theater, comedy and tragedy, the two masks, one is a comedy, (laughs) and then there's a tragedy. (laughs) So usually happiness exists as part of the play of opposites. You experience the happiness because something makes you happy and then that thing that made you happy either leaves you or the very thing that made you happy suddenly makes you unhappy. Marriage, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Or a relationship. Before you start living together, you're happy. When you start living together, you're unhappy. (laughs) So if it's not happy, what are we talking about? If you let go of thinking, and remain as the awareness, then there is, in that, that awareness, emanates a certain peace, alive peace, joy, peace, a peaceful, joyful sense of aliveness. Inner peace may be a better word than happiness, but one would have to add to it it's an alive peace, it's not the peace of having deadened yourself to emotions or anything like that. It's an alive, intensely alive piece. You can sense it even if it's only just a glimpse right now, surrender thought. And of course, right now, if you're not thinking about the problems of your life, there are no problems in this moment. There's only a sense of beingness or aliveness. And that is the connectedness with being And so you transcend the opposites between happiness and unhappiness. In the power of now, there's a little chapter called Beyond Happiness and Unhappiness, There's Peace. So instead of being subject to the fluctuations of happiness and unhappiness, there's that peace where you realize the essence of who you are. And so you're no longer ego-based, form identity, yes, but not identification with form identity. So it doesn't turn into ego. And then you function in this world from that place of inner peace and whatever you do or who you come into contact with, that your actions, your thoughts become a manifestation of that. If more people enter that place, then more people become peaceful human beings and do not contribute to a conflict in the world, the madness of the world. Don't contribute to the madness of the world. Come back to the question. With so much sadness in the world, how can I feel joy and happy? Yes, there is a huge amount of suffering in the world. Why is there suffering? Because humans are disconnected from the source of who they are. And that is the fundamental source of suffering. That's how it arises. So if you say, I refuse to be happy until there's no more suffering in this world, okay? So the end of suffering then, I'm waiting for it out there. And you might even become very active. I'm going to bring about the end of suffering. You do good things, but you haven't brought about the end of suffering in yourself. So how is the end of suffering going to happen even if you do good deeds, which is a wonderful thing But if you are unhappy doing good deeds, then that unhappiness also flows into how you do those things and your interactions with other people. The shift in this world, the end of suffering, to use the the Buddha's terminology, the Buddha described his teaching as pointing the way to the end of suffering. That's the Buddha's teaching. He never used used a negative term, end of suffering. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, which is within you. He used a positive term. They're both talking about the same thing. So the end of suffering has to begin with you and then it spreads. Then because that changes the way in which you experience the world, it affects others. And then what you, your relationship with other human beings changes fundamentally because only when you are in connectedness with the essence of who you are, can you have harmonious relationships with others and can you have feel this deep sense of goodwill towards other human beings, not conditional upon whether they happen to agree with you or belong to the same political party or belong to the same religion or belong to the same nation. It doesn't depend on that, the same tribe. No, to have a goodwill or benevolence towards all humans that you come into contact with, no matter what their conditioning is, that can only come from that deep connectedness with being. And where you, you do not automatically and unconsciously judge others the moment you meet them. So it needs to start with you. Then this benevolence, this goodwill, changes the way in which you interact with other humans. And that changes on a small scale. And then gradually other human beings here and there can also go to that place within and then start to live it. The end of suffering, and let's forget about happiness. Let's talk about peace. So it starts with you be the change that you want to see in the world. So if you want to see peace, you have to embody the peace. The end of suffering needs to start with you, your your suffering, that's the end of suffering on the planet. And then you can show the way to others too. You don't necessarily have to become a spiritual teacher, but you may, but in some way, even you don't even need to fully embody that shift in consciousness fully enlightened master, no, even just to be undergoing the transformational process, you already begin to teach, so to speak, even though you you might not teach in the conventional sense of the word, but whoever you come into contact with, you affect with your state of consciousness. The Course in Miracles says you become a teacher of God. (laughs) A related question here, as a grief therapist, I meet people who suffer a lot and many of them have no access to the spiritual dimension. How can I help them the most? Some people have no access to the spiritual dimension, but if they are ready, then you will help them by being present with them and not necessarily say anything about anything spiritual. You do not necessarily introduce people to the spiritual dimension by talking about it. You can just demonstrate, for example, what it means to become aware of your own thoughts. You can demonstrate to them what it means and how it feels like to be able to to observe your emotions and allow them to be there. So you can do that together with with your client, patient. What are the emotions so that gradually he or she experiences for himself or herself, what it means to be the observer, the witness of emotional states, to be the awareness. So to really what is the spiritual dimension, there's no need ever to say anything spiritual because that might lead to defensiveness of the ego, not just to take them to non-identification with thinking, which starts with a simple thing, What thoughts go through your head right now? What are the most common thoughts that go through your head during the day? Are there repetitive thoughts? Okay, maybe even write them down. And when you think that thought, how does it feel when you think that thought? Okay, describe that. And gradually the person can experience the arising of awareness so that He or she is no longer totally trapped in the fluctuating emotions and the continuous, incessant, involuntary thinking that happens in the unconscious state. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see
1: what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time.
3: So for many, the first awakening to spirituality is to become aware that there is a voice in their head (laughs) that comments on their life, on themselves and other people all the time and has fixed positions and has its likes and dislikes and hates this and that A lot of it, the voice is very critical. The voice tends to be more negative than positive because when you have something positive, there's not that much to think about. When you have something negative, you can go and think about it for a very long time. It just gives you much more food for thought. You can have a loving interaction with another human being just to meet somebody casually and the person is friendly. You you feel good. And you walk away for a few moments, you feel good about yourself and the other. And then what else is there to think about? That was a lovely interaction. But then you meet somebody who is rude to you and treats you with disrespect and says something to you. And then after it's happened, you start thinking about it. Why didn't I respond that I should have said that? That would have hated him. And how how does he? So that disrespect, why, is, why are people so disrespectful towards me? Is there something wrong with me? There, and stories, incessant stories in the mind, having been offended by this person or that person, you can think about that a lot. You can't think that much about a beautiful sunset you saw yesterday evening. Uh, what is there to think about? Uh, but, uh, but something negative, that's great so that's the voice in the head it loves that it's the, that's the the unobserved voice in the head is the essence of unconsciousness <laughs> so the discovery that there is a voice in your head and that the voice is not you but it is a voice in your head is the beginning of spiritual awakening so if you can only just show a client that there is a voice in the head and that's not you why is it not you because you know that there's a voice in the head. So there's another dimension in you from where you can know that there's a voice in the head. So that's more essentially you than the voice. And then you can also show that the voice, a lot of the time, what it says is not true at all. <laughs> and then you begin not to believe in every thought you think. <laughs> that's a wonderful liberation. And you realize, okay, that's just that's an old thought. And then come the awareness of emotions. So that's spiritual. And some people are ready for it. Sometimes the most unlikely people, suddenly you meet them and say, wow, he suddenly gets it. And that's the beginning of his or her spiritual awakening. And then others are definitely not ready because it has happened a few times. I talk about the voice in the head. Voice? What is he talking about? What, yeah. what voice in the head? And then I say, that one, He says, <laughs> But he still goes, it's not a voice I'm talking, it's not a voice. <laughs> so this really the spirit I mentioned is something very practical and simple. It does not require a lot of talk about you will transcend the ego when you come to me, or whatever, (laughs) it's much more practical. You never need to say you need to transcend your ego. Obviously, you know that, so. (laughs) Let me show you your true self. It's Not necessary, just say, is there a voice in your head? Yeah. (laughs) I am a therapist and now feel that I don't take people's problems seriously. I don't know if I can continue to be a psychotherapist. (laughs) Now this, when I was seeing people for counseling sessions, some of them got angry because when I was listening to their problems, I would be smiling, just a very slight (laughs) smile. And they got quite angry, some of them, because why are you smiling? <laughs> you laughed, do you think this is funny? <laughs> of course, the smile did not come as a result of any kind of thought process in my head. I didn't smile because I thought, oh, he thinks he has such big problems and these, these problems are meaningless. I said, no, none of that. The smile came because I could sense the deeper essence of that human being because it it resonated with my own essence. And I could sense the wellness of that human being who on the surface seemed very unhappy. I could see the relative insignificance of his or her problems because I could sense something much deeper in that other person. And that is also a form of healing when you connect at that deep level from your essence to the other person's essence. And then all the problems really, they may still be important to that person, but they are only relatively important. So some people got it, they actually stopped talking about suddenly and said, Once or twice I had people realizing it's not, isn't, is this really so important? Are these problems really so important? And some people realized the amazing thing about the present moment, which is you cannot have a problem in the present moment. All problems exists on the level of the mind. What is this? If your attention remains focused on the present moment, there's only always This moment, which may be challenging. Some present moments are challenging. There's no doubt about it. We could have a wild animal suddenly burst into this room. (laughs) But that's not a problem because there's no time for the mind to make it into a problem. It's a challenge. And then in the face of that, you face a challenge and then action arises. Let's say something more serious. You develop a disability, perhaps you suddenly can't walk anymore. That is a serious problem. It's a challenge, certainly. Then I have met people, many, who because something serious happened in their lives, first they thought, I cannot live with the burden of that problem. It's just too much to bear for me. I can't do it. And they suffered and suffered tremendously. And then, Either they came into contact with the spiritual teaching or they did it by themselves. At some point, they couldn't take the suffering anymore. And at that point, they refused to leave the present moment, the now. And suddenly there's only whatever condition arises in this moment that you face completely without any story around it about me and my past and my future and what my life has come to. And it's never going, I'm never going to walk again. And it all kinds of mental, all the, the suffering arises through the mind, not the situation ultimately. And that's a deep teaching, the human suffering and suffering is the psychological level. Pain, yes, you can have pain, you can have physical pain, You can also have emotional pain when it is not amplified by useless and incessant thinking. Emotional pain has a lifespan. It arises and it subsides. Somebody dies, a loved one dies. Yes, you have emotional pain. It arises, it subsides and it comes back a few times in waves, then surrender happens and it's gone. And there's peace left. If the mind amplifies it by incessant thinking, the pain can go on for years. One event can cause you years of pain if that event is continuously renewed, rem- remembered by the mind. And many problems that humans have are actually have no existence whatsoever. The mind generates the problems, things that could go wrong in your life. Worry, anxiety, What if all these things? So in a therapy situation, I've said this so many times and in the books too, if you think you have problems and everybody does in a conventional sense, there's no life that is free of challenges and there are difficulties for you. There may be difficulties at work. There may be difficulties financial in your living situation, in your relationships, your health. No human exists here without having certain difficulties in their life. Of course, this is how it's meant to be, otherwise it wouldn't happen, but they don't need to become problems. The more you're focused on the now, the more free you are of problems. That's an amazing realization. This has helped quite a few people, and that again is an entry point into the spiritual dimension, because the now is a portal into the spiritual dimension. Uh, Here's one that is a personal one, I'm aware of fear that is almost continual in me. My parents were Holocaust survivors. And in spite of my awareness of the anxiety and fear, it does not seem to lessen. I know you talk about in any given moment, there's never a problem, but when you're terrified all the time, there is a problem because you are afraid Now this is somebody here who a lot of the time is in a state of fear or anxiety. It could be related to something in his past or his parents or perhaps other generations too. What to do? You can't get rid of being terrified having being in a state of fear most of the time. What you can do is not to allow the fear to rise up into your mind and control your thought processes. Because then that would be a normal thing when you are identified. The emotion that's there rises into your mind and then it causes you to think thoughts that correspond to the emotion, fearful thoughts in this case. And then you would get a vicious circle building up between the emotion of fear, the thoughts you think, which are fearful thoughts, which give more energy to the emotion. So the more fearful thoughts you think, the more it perpetuates the fear that you feel. So to to sever the link between the emotion that you feel and your thought processes, and this is not pleasant, but it's possible, you place your attention on the emotion, you feel it. It's unpleasant, but it's not going to kill you. So feel it and then you shine the light of awareness on it. And you may have to do that a lot. And at first it's not pleasant, but it's a burning up of the old emotion. And the only way to get rid of it is to accept it as it is right now. If you want to get rid of it, you can't. But that complete acceptance of what is is actually the doorway through it. It's the transformation of it. And if it's extreme, that can become your main meditation in life and that will become your main teacher. And that will bring about your transformation. In some people's lives, there is one huge disability, one huge source of suffering or pain. It could be a physical disability. It could be a situation like being in prison. It could be an emotion like that, that you carry inside that doesn't want to go away. In certain people's lives, there is one major thing that seems to color your entire life and affect your entire life and seemingly makes it impossible for you to ever be free or happy or joyful. But if that, that one thing, if you surrender to it, allow it to be and make it as a, a, a continuous spiritual practice, you need nothing else. That one thing will transform you if you surrender to it. And there will come a point when you are grateful that that you had to go through that. It will be the greatest spiritual teacher. Acceptance of the unacceptable is the great source of grace in this world. It's just a miracle. But it can be an arduous process, especially for this questioner here who is here. It may take a while, you have to, Endure it and be with it and surrender to it a lot of the time. And that's your meditation. You don't need transcendental meditation. Your pain, your fear is enough. Be with it, allow it to be there. And gradually you will notice the transformation. That's the alchemy of transformation, the alchemy of suffering into the old meaning of alchemy is base metal. There comes this guy who experiments in a chemical kitchen and he transforms base metal into gold. So there have been in medieval times, there was a lot of interest in alchemy. That would be the material level of alchemy, but on a spiritual level, alchemy is the transformation of suffering into consciousness and that only happens if you bring surrender to the suffering. The idea behind it is voluntarily embrace suffering so that it brings about a transformation of consciousness by surrendering to it. I work as a well-being officer at a public primary school, ages five to 12 well, it's a wonderful thing that at least the school has a well being officer. It's, uh... Other than being present myself, what would you recommend as the most effective ways to remind children of their essential presence? By the way, our office where children can drop in is called The Space. <laughs> As you say, other than being present myself, of course, being present yourself is the main thing when you are with the children. And then perhaps you can help them with, unfortunately is not yet taught at school, which is for children to become aware that they have emotions, but they are not their emotions. Of course, you don't tell them you have emotions, but you are not your emotions. (laughs) You have to find a more direct and practical way to show them to be able to, to be aware of their the emotions. And then you might even be able to show them to be aware of their thoughts. How exactly you can work that out for yourself, how you do it, how you bring it to children, and who knows what comes of that. The main thing is just show them what it means to be aware without ever mentioning the word awareness, because it's far too abstract for a child. So you never mention the word awareness, of course. But on, in, on a practical level, you can show them, what do you feel right now? What does it feel like? What would that look like if it were an animal? Maybe you can even draw it. And then you draw your emotion looking like an animal. And by doing that, there comes a slight disidentification from the emotion. because you never mentioned the word disidentification. The word disidentification wouldn't make sense. So you start like that. You can see your inner states, pick, you can draw them, and then you can look at certain what they think. What what are your thoughts? What do you think? How do you feel when you think that, for example? All those things that really should be, be the primary subject that children learn at school, but is not yet to be aware, an aware human being. Thousand times more important than mathematics or biology or geography or whatever else they learn What could possibly be more important than to learn how to be an aware human being? School for me was a nightmare. I couldn't, it was just even occasionally now I have dreams when I am adult (laughs) and I'm back in a classroom. How do I get out of here? (laughs) And here's one question that is just a personal one. How do I truly forgive myself for not being present? with another. Well, I assume the question refers to something that happened in the past, not in the present, because if the other is here with you now, then there's nothing to forgive, you just be present. So it must be something that you were not present with someone in the past because there was not enough presence in you. (laughs) You cannot manifest any behavior beyond your level of consciousness. Either you had no idea what presence was, you were not yet able to access that dimension of consciousness, or it was there very weak in you, not strong enough perhaps to survive in that particular interaction or relationship. Some parents have that feeling also because when they look back upon how they brought up their children, they cannot believe how unconscious they were as parents. (laughs) Now, There's no such thing as totally conscious parents. No matter what you do, there's always something that you don't do right. Absolute perfection is just not possible. But there are now for the first time perhaps in history, there are parents who are relatively conscious, who are endeavoring to be conscious as parents. In my generation, it was unheard of Conscious parents, what is that? (laughs) You just, the parents brought you up in the same way that they were brought up and in the same way that was sanctioned by the surrounding culture. That's how you were brought up. Conscious parents, what's that nonsense? (laughs) And of course, in my generation, I didn't know anybody who had even remotely conscious parents. So forgiving yourself for not being present there's always a tendency of the ego to identify with certain conditions. So the ego identifies with the condition of unconsciousness and says, That's, that was me and I was wrong. I should have been conscious at the time, but you were not. You couldn't have been more conscious at the time than you were at the time. You forgive yourself by realizing that nobody can act beyond their level of consciousness And whatever you did in the past was an expression on your personal level of the evolutionary state of yourself. If you have still an opportunity to go to this person and perhaps explain that you were unconscious, we don't know what level of consciousness this person is at, whether this person would be able to listen to you and even understand what you're saying, or this person may not be alive anymore, or there may not be an opportunity to speak, but either way, you forgive yourself by realizing that there is ultimately nothing to forgive. And that even applies to another person because if forgiving goes both ways. Sometimes you have to forgive yourself, but you also have to forgive somebody else. If you do not want to carry the enormous burden of carrying a grievance, which is a dreadful thing, just one grievance towards another human being, that is a heavy grievance that you carry, can stop the arising of presence in you. So letting go of grievances is vital. In ordinary human interaction, it is very important to overlook things that humans do because every human being that you come into contact with, even if they are awakening, they are in the awakening process, they will still manifest occasionally areas of unconsciousness. So if you want to have relatively harmonious relationship, many things you need to overlook in the other person. Some insensitivity may arise here and there. They may say or do something that is selfish or that they may have a very one-sided perspective of something. They may misperceive you, they may misperceive your motivation, you misperceive their motivation, all kinds of things. So to forgive, in a present situation means to overlook. If you see a fault, don't dwell on it. So thank you. Let's take a moment of stillness.
2: I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these Essential Teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.
0: Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean...